You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello, once again, everybody. I'm your host, Nick Shyest, and we're back for a segment that's quickly taking off. We've got another episode on deck of Bad Movies We Love. Welcome back once again. We're here for another edition of Bad Movies We Love. I'm joined today by a friend of the show and the host of the Let It Ride podcast, Mr. Jeff Hooks. Welcome back. Welcome back. Nick, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited for uh, my second appearance on the podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate you agreeing to do this. I know you interact with me on some of the movie stuff I do on Twitter here and there. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of become my main focus, actually, over the last, like, I don't know, three, four months I've been doing this. Like, it takes a surprising amount of work to do that. So it just seems like when it starts getting engagement, like I'm kind of like in that until it's over. So when sunday comes and i don't have to do that i'm actually really excited and it works out well for football season as well because it's like i don't have to worry about doing that on sundays but i may start playing that game with bills players okay so just for just for my bills mafia fans and uh keep it keep it as small as i can there so i don't have to go too far outside the box but you're here today to talk about the the masterpiece Con Air. Uh, I love this movie to death. I've seen it so many times. I didn't actually get a chance to watch it before we had this discussion, but similar to Demolition Man, I feel like I've seen it enough where I've got a very good understanding of where I, where I want to talk about certain points in this film. But why don't you tell me why this was the movie that came to mind for bad movies we love? Uh, well, the reason I love this movie, uh, just go through, you can sit here and say why it's bad. And they're pretty obvious. Like, just like any action movie, you're going to have the unbelievable things that happen. You have the uh, John Cusack's boss's car getting tethered to the plane. All the unbelievable things that happen in action <laughs> movies. The plane getting landed on the Vegas Strip. But that's inherent in any action movie. So you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. But other than that, it's really just Nick Cage's terrible accent and one really bad one-liner <laughs> about a bunny. Outside of that, this movie is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Cyrus the Virus, uh, John Malkovich absolutely owns this movie. He is my favorite villain, maybe in any movie that I've ever seen. Like He was absolutely incredible in this movie. Oscar-worthy performance. And I feel like it kind of gets dragged down by Nick Cage's, you know, bad acting. Um, you can keep going. Steve Buscemi, one of my favorite character actors, absolutely kills it as Garland Green, the uh, the serial killer who gets a redemption story in the end, which I thought, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Dave Chappelle, randomly in this movie. Danny Trejo. Uh, uh, I can't even pronounce the guy's name. Michael D. Williamson. Uh, most people might know him as Bubba. I don't think I'd ever seen him in anything else besides this movie uh, and Forrest Gump. So just uh, he did a great job as well. Uh, just top to bottom, I think the cast did a really good job, uh, even though at the top you have Nick Cage being Nick Cage. Yeah, all right. I think that's a fair assessment. You you touched on a lot of the probably most notable criticisms of the film. Um, 
like you said about John Malkovich, I think the one character in this film, if I wanted more of this story, would be either like a, you know, it would have to be a prequel for him, but I mean, we'll get sure. to that later. Um, but yeah, John Malkovich is so excellent in this film that it's it's not just Nicolas Cage, it's that this cast is so robust that it's not a one versus one kind of hero versus villain situation where Malkovich really gets to have the kind of freedom to 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 dominate the movie, but he still steals every scene that he's in. Right. And yeah, Cyrus the Virus, the character names in this are fantastic too, but let's jump into the trailer because I don't know if I remember seeing this trailer. I probably did, but I haven't seen it in, I don't know, what, 20 years at this point. So let's go ahead and uh, I'll pull that up. Okay, that's not too bad. Oh yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer, he loves things exploding. He's a U.S. Ranger. Highly decorated. Did a little hell raising when he was a kid, but nothing serious. Monica Potter looks fantastic in this movie, by the way. He's defending his wife. I don't know if she she didn't go on to do that much after this. Or at least no. I didn't see it. After serving the last of his sentence, Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. You know, movies with this voiceover are always going to be special. Absolutely. These guys are the worst of the worst. See a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime live, three regions of Kathy Lee's and a genuine 2020 interviewee. What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I just... Your cage. But one <laughs> There's the accent. Can ruin your whole day. What happened? We caught the plane, man. Welcome to Con Air. Jailbird One, you are not cleared for takeoff, and nobody on this aircraft gives a flying. The issue here is how the plane is brought down. <laughs> Shoot it down. There are innocent people up there. Yeah, I don't think they ever would have hesitated to shoot this thing out of the air. No, not at all. <laughs> There's one innocent guy on this plane. Oh, that yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> John Malkovich just defies his superiors at every turn, risks his job for a guy he never met. <laughs> yeah. From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack. Buckle up. <laughs> That's appropriate. Con Air. Directed by Simon West. Thank you and have a pleasant flight. I do remember that trailer because I remember the blade of the plane flying towards the camera as it cuts out. Uh, but yeah, that's a crazy intro. They definitely sell you on the idea that this is from the same people that made The Rock. Sure. And if you like that movie, you're going to like this movie too. And you know what? That's a fair assessment because The Rock's a good one. I think I personally like Con Air better, although I would probably argue that The Rock is a better movie between the two. That's if fair. I had if I had to choose one to watch, it would probably be Con Air for some reasons that we'll get into. But since you brought it up before we watched the trailer, I've always had this comment on this film 
the accent, right? It's one of the biggest so detriments. It's one of the biggest detriments to the film. Nicolas Cage is a fantastic actor, and he's done some very good work. He's done a lot of like really bad movies, but I don't think he's ever the reason movies are bad. This is maybe the one exception where his accent really drags down the character. And I've always wondered, like they had to have seen this in the dailies when they were shooting the very beginning of the film and going back and listening to it and thinking that like this is what we want like does he have to be southern does he have to try to pull this accent off or was it something where they talked to him about the character and he's like okay to me like this is the character he's a southern gentleman who served in the military and he's you know got a good moral compass but he's not afraid to stand up for his you know wife and he ends up uh, killing a guy in that situation i don't know if they ever explain how his self-defense case goes completely awry and he ends up in jail in the first place yeah, it seems a little an odd bit in there. To make an example of, well, oh yeah, this decorated marine. Let's make an example of him. Seems like an odd choice for a judge to make. Very much so. But he needs to find his way to prison somehow because that's how he ends up on this flight. But right. I've always wondered with the filmmakers, like, how did they see the accent happening in real time when they started filming, and did they just feel like, oh, we don't want to tell him no. <laughs> This is, this is something he clearly has worked out. We don't want to, like, interrupt his process. Or was this something that they're like, we know the kind of movie we're making and we're not afraid of him having this accent because we're going to dress it up with explosions and gunfights and it's going to be such an amazing cast. You're probably not going to focus on his accent. But still, all these years later, I still remember how bad the accent was. And it's just, it's such a shame because Nick Cage is such a good actor that it didn't have to go down that way. Yeah, I feel like if you take the accent out of this movie, it's it's up there with the best action movies of the 90s. And part of it, like, there's two ways you can go with it. You either just tell Nick Cage to use his normal talking voice, and I feel like the movie is the same. Or if you really have to have that accent, I don't, I don't know if Matthew McConaughey was the leading guy at that time. Have a guy like that do the leading role. Like, the, it just seemed like a really odd, odd hill to die on. And it kind of, it really, it almost ruins the movie. I still like it. And I think it did ruin the movie for a lot of people, and I could completely understand. Fair enough. I mean, even though I like this movie, I'm still like, yeah, that's not a part of this movie that I like because he, it wouldn't be so bad maybe if they didn't have him deliver like a lot of zingy one-liners, but like they stop everything in certain moments to have him deliver these lines. And it's like, <laughs> it's so bad in those moments that it's like, it just became this like, iconically bad kind of uh, moments in the film. And I think I have some of those queued up, but before we get to that, I wanna go through uh, the early prisoner introduction. So, I mean, you know, they give you enough of his backstory to explain why he's in jail. And then he's essentially just catching a flight home on this prison flight and he's gonna get paroled. But, you know, shit hits the fan in the air and he's gotta be the guy to save the day. And it's just super convenient that he's there. But we're gonna go through the uh, the cast of some of the cast of characters. They don't introduce everybody here, but uh, it's most of the key players. So we'll take a look at that. Before we go any further, this episode of Bad Movies We Love is brought to you by Wicker Man Home Furnishings. Did you know Wicker is the oldest furniture making method in the world? Neither did I, but it is, dating all the way back to ancient Egypt 5,000 years ago. What do you think baby Moses was sent down the Nile in? Well, 
there's no denying that all of Wickerman's 100% organic plant-based materials are sourced directly from the island of Summer Isle, and each individual piece is made painstakingly by the hands of the local village wicker workers. So, whether you're looking for patio chairs, a shiffer robe, a decorative basket to store your special medications, or anything in between, Wicker Man Home Furnishings is your one-stop super shop for all your wicker needs. At Wicker Man Home Furnishings, you get thousands of years of quality craftsmanship with none of the ritual human sacrifice. Prisoner intros. Roll, roll the tape. <laughs> That's William Bedford, a.k.a. Billy Bedford. They even have John Cusack doing all the voiceover work for these guys. Yeah. It's like a moment where they knew they spent a lot of money on the cast, and they're like, yeah. we're going to give them all individual intros right here just to brag about the kind of cast we have. They start with the guy Start with the guy who didn't put the bunny in the box, I believe. Right. I think that was him. <laughs> that was him. They represented the basest negativity of the white race. He wrote a book in prison. Yeah, it's got a point. Reflections in a Diamond Eye. New York Times called it a wake-up call for the black community. They're talking to Denzel for the movie. See a little tongue-in-cheek. Like this movie knows what it is. Yeah. Close door number one. This one's done it all. Kidnapping, robbery, murder, extortion. Foxtrot Charlie, perimeter is secure. You are clear to release. His name is Cyrus Grissom, a.k.a. Cyrus the Virus, 39 years old. John Malkovich. spent in our institution. But he's bettered himself inside, earned two degrees, including his Juris Doctor. The evil genius, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Three riots and escaped twice. Likes to brag that he killed more men than cancer. Okay, open wide. Lift your tongue. He kind of has a small <laughs> redemption when he stops the rape on the uh, on the plane, I think, when Danny Trejo is assaulting the guard. Yeah, the structuring of the types of prisoners they have on this flight lends itself to a couple of moments like that, uh, including the one we're going to watch after this. But there is, like, a hierarchy within the criminal code of, like, the kinds of crimes that are acceptable and which ones aren't sure now here's dave chappelle they call him a walking penis oh man it smells like so much shit in your mouth in 2022 i think he's the most famous person from this movie yeah did not would not have guessed that at the time though that 25 years later that yeah. and the slow-mo intro for nick cage <laughs> also with, also with a giant mullet like i don't know why they went with that choice either uh <laughs> It just strange choices with his character. Like mm -hmm. he never had long hair in any of his other roles that I remember at that point. Um, so I think why? it was just supposed to show his time, like his time in prison. Oh, he grew, he grew because in the opening scene he's he's yeah. good. But it's like okay, so we're gonna give him extensions so we can have his hair blow in the wind <laughs> in the key scenes where we need it. Uh, there's one. Oh, so this actually happens a little bit later because uh, it's after they've already taken over the plane. It's like the plane takeover scene is kind of like lengthy and it's just like really loud. So I don't know if we need to go over it, but or I, I don't know if we need to watch it. But in it, uh, Dave Chappelle lights uh, 
one of the other prisoners on fire and this yep. creates the version that they need to get the keys and all that and he's screaming out the last mohegan is burning and i was like oh my god that would not fly at all today <laughs> uh it's just like the way 90s movies were made they weren't afraid to just like do whatever they wanted and it's like either the audience is going to love it or they're going to hate it but we're just going to move on um but yeah that's like four minute scene and there's a lot of screaming and a lot of uh I don't know if there's a ton of gunshots, but it's just really loud. And at sure. the end, you get the iconic line from him where he says, welcome to Con Air. Mm-hmm. They figure out that they've taken the plane at that point. So they do uh, release. I mean, there's. Uh, do I want to go through this one-liner here? I'll, I'll share it. I'll just bring it in. Okay. I should have left these windows open because I'm going to need them later. Yes. <laughs> Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Let's see. Danny Trejo's creepy rapist. Johnny 23. <laughs> this ain't happening. Not here. Not now. What's it's happening? Hey! Relax. He's right. Not here. Not now. Do you fly, Johnny? No. You keep that in mind when you look at her, because if your dick jumps out of your pants, you jump out of this plane. So even Cyrus is not a big fan of uh, sure. Johnny Johnny Twenty Three's rapey behavior. But uh, that that line about uh, you're ugly all day, like, was that the one-liner that they intended it to be? Or it's like, this is supposed to be a joke? Uh, I think it was, I think it was supposed to be funny. And it, it just completely misses, like, it was supposed to be, like, this this wicked burn from, from Nick Cage. Right? And, <laughs> and just just that combined with the accent, I, don't, I just don't think it lands at all. Uh, but that was a good example of the uh kind of the hierarchy within that criminal system we're talking about mm-hmm. and in this next scene that i'm going to pull up uh it's another one of those but it's the introduction of uh steve buscemi's character for the first time i believe in this one more late addition oh garland green should be interesting so they know he's got a reputation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mal- Malkovich's character is aware enough to know who this guy is. And they're giving him the full Hannibal Lecter treatment. So <laughs> they're definitely capitalizing on, like, Silence of the Lambs. Sure. What the fuck is that? That's <laughs> Steve Buscemi, such a great character actor too. Like he crushes this role. Christ in a cartoon. Shit, that's Garland Green, man. Christ in a cartoon. Little man butchers thirty something people up and down the eastern seaboard. You see the way he kills those people? Makes the Manson family look like the Partridge family. Well, he's on the right flight. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, some of this, like, dialogue is so funny because it's, like, they're 
they're just giving you like exposition because it's like, all right, well, here's all the characters you need to know. Here's going to be all the major players. So it's like we need to explain it in some way and give the main character like some reason to interact with this scene. So it's just one of those things where this is stuff that maybe didn't need to be in the movie, like that little last bit at the end right there, like we're the Christ Christ in a cartoon. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? I think the most unbelievable thing about this movie is that Nicolas Cage uses his acting ability to trick uh, Cyrus Grissom into thinking that he's a hardened criminal. And, and, and like, kind of like, ironically, Dave Chappelle's in this movie. If you go to Dave Chappelle's skits about what really happens in movies, if Nick Cage is in this movie is trying to act his way out of anything, he's going to get caught right, right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not very convincing as a guy who's like a hardcore crook in right. in this escape plan. Um, there is a scene, I I'm probably not going to pull it up, but they... They take the plane, they they take it over, they land it at uh, like the Midway airport because they're planning on switching planes. And when they do, like some random guy who works at the airfield like sprints out to the plane and it's like, hey, what the hell are you guys doing here? And they pull all the cops off the plane, they're beating them up. And then the guy just takes off running into the desert. Like he doesn't go back to where he came from. He doesn't go back down the road to the tower. Like he doesn't try to go to his car to leave. He just starts sprinting into the desert for some strange reason. But Cyrus says, well, I hope he likes sand. So it's like another one of those moments where they kind of like wrote this, like thinking it was going to work. And then once they had it on screen, it's like, all right, well, I guess, you know, Cyrus is charismatic enough, but they're just like staring at him, like running off in the desert. They don't try and capture him. They didn't try and kill him when he runs up on them. And considering the kind of people that are on this flight, it doesn't make sense for it to just like let that happen. They're right. trying to they're trying to pull off this very elaborate heist uh, that they've gone through a lot of planning to accomplish to just let some random guy potentially ruin that all for them. Uh, and it didn't make a ton of sense believe, in that scene. I think I think Cyrus the virus executes one of the prisoners in this scene later on as well. The, the guy that's trying to sneak off like uh, and with his own private plane. Yeah, so uh, Fran the character Francisco, who, where is my cast page, played by Jesse Borrego, he has arranged a flight uh, to transfer all of the prisoners off the prison plane onto like the plane of, a, a, I'm guessing, a drug cartel lord or something like that is what they make it seem like. And mm. then, of course, he's trying to double-cross Cyrus because he just wants to take off and leave and you know not worry about all these criminals coming with him <laughs> to wherever he's going. So Cyrus finds out naturally, and this guy just made an example of for the rest of the cast. I think he shoots him right in the face, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that scene in front of me, so that's not the one we're gonna watch. But while they're stuck on the airfield and they are trying to transfer uh flights or try to find a solution to get out of the airfield this it's already happened that nick cage has sent the sos i believe i think he actually runs into uh john cusack at the well he airfield. writes the message on he writes the message. body sends Chucks it out it. that's right yep mm -hmm. he writes it on his shirt and then he just throws his body out the plane door and it crashes on some poor guy's car stuck at an intersection. <laughs> um, but it, it has instructions to get in touch with John Cusack. And so Cusack finds his way to the airfield and secretly meets with Nick Cage really quickly in the barn. Yep. And, oh, I do have that scene right here. And then it's the scene that I was thinking of first. So let me grab this one. Sure. 
too many tabs open at once. <laughs> the processing power is slowing down. You're Cameron Poe. That's right. I'm Larkin. Hello, Larkin. I got your message. Where are the troops? They'll be here. They'll be here. Uh-huh. <laughs> In a minute. Listen, Poe. Can I lower this? Go ahead. You gonna lower yours? Sorry, boss. But there's only two men I trust. One of them's me. The other's not you. It's a good line, though. It is. It is. Of, of the one-liners in this movie, that's a good one. <laughs> you can't trust a South American drug lord. Who can you trust, huh? Uh, he was a cartel guy. Yeah. That was a joke. I'm glad you told me. Now I <laughs> You're a free man, Paul. What are you doing? I can't trade a friend's life for my own lock, and that's all. You got a friend on board. See, I knew I was right about you. I read your file. You're not such a bad guy, just always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Goodbye, Larkin. I spoke to your wife. Got that like kind of ominous background music changes to this like uplifting mm. piano tone. In person. In person. Might be it. No, it's probably like Angela. sounds like a string instrument, like a harp or something. You saw Casey. Uh-huh. If this thing goes bad, locked, and I'm afraid my daughter won't understand. <laughs> if you talk to my wife again, you tell her I love her. She's my hummingbird. But I couldn't leave a fallen man behind. He'll do that for me, won't you, Larkin? Sure, I will. What are you gonna do for me? What do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the fucking day. <laughs> save the fucking day. That's actually not a bad line either. No, it's not. That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, that's like one of the more uh, like real and kind of like endearing moments in the film. Sure. Uh, because you actually get to see Nick Cage like grappling with something emotional in that moment like right, because he can just leave like he can stay off the plane and just go to his family and the movie can end right there roll credits yeah it's one of it's one of the few scenes in the movie where like he actually gets to like do some real like character acting because the rest of it is all like from action beat to action beat and right. so it's like yeah you don't really have time to like stop and like be contemplative about your character and the fact that like he's missing his wife and his daughter and he's got to risk a lot right now in order to save a friend and he's got to tell his wife that like you have to understand like i am a soldier like this is my friend i can't leave him behind so there's that's like the moment in the movie where like there's some real acting going on and, and the, the, the closing that we'll get to i'm sure also but like but you're right throughout the movie that's not his wheelhouse the whole action thing and i think that's part of the reason that people didn't like this movie yeah i think that's fair uh they yeah, I have the I have the chase scene end here. I don't know if it brings up the the reunion, but I'm sure oh, I do have the end sequence here. I'll just pop that up real quick while I'm talking to you and I'll quiet it down. We'll get we'll get to that part. Yeah. Um so I'm gonna get rid of the he likes sand. We don't need that. <laughs> I, don't think, I might pull the audio from that just to put it in because it's it's such a another just like unique line of dialogue that doesn't seem to really work with what they're going for. And I know they're having fun with this movie and they're like they're not taking it too seriously like it's not 
it's not the fugitive, right? Like it's kind of close in the elements of like there's like a double cross going on, like the laws involved, there's some criminals involved, but it doesn't. It's not on that like same level of seriousness. No. Uh, but they could have like toned out some of the stuff to like still make it fun. And I don't know if I can find the the barbecue line, but that's a good line. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna skip to one other one first here. We, we sure. uh, you had mentioned, sorry, that like Nick Cage has to basically uh, his character Cameron has to act in front of Cyrus, and that's one of like those one-liner moments. And it's so good that if I can find it quickly while this other one is playing, I'll uh, I'll grab it. So let me okay. share. Then let me share this one. This is, they know the cavalry's coming and they have to figure out a way to uh, get out of it. And this is so the convicts like make their uh, plan of attack here. Considering my audience, I'm gonna make this very quick, very simple. This is the boneyard. This is the hangar. This is our plane. What's that? That's a rock. Okay. The convoy will enter the boneyard through here. Initially, we take out the first car. Then we take out the last, creating a trap, an airtight cage filled with lots and lots of dead people. Nathan, <laughs> set everybody in their position, yeah? Bring me those propane tanks. Let's go, let's go. Get him in there. Think of any trouble, kill him. What can I do? Don't play around. Take this, go into the boneyard. Yeah? Anybody gets through, he scratch their eyes out. You got it. So they're they're ready to essentially go to war at that point in the film. I mean, stop sharing that screen. Um, it was... Uh, I'm going to probably butcher this name. Renoli Santiago. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, plays Sally Can't Dance. And I always remember from uh, Dangerous Minds. So this is like another like small, smaller role in a, a bigger film, but still like a very recognizable actor in one of these roles. And uh, you got like Steve Easton in here as well. MC Ganey plays Swamp Thing. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Monica Potter is, you know, basically not in the movie all that much. But uh, one of the other great small roles that as I was watching the plane takeover scene, which it's a little too long to put in here, as I mentioned earlier, but they're dealing in the two pilots are in the cockpit talking and they're like hearing everything going on behind him and the pilot tells his co-pilot like get the gun and go like take care of what's going on in the back and i don't even know if the co-pilot has any dialogue but it's nhl and red wings legend marty mcsorley or no he played for the kings i'm sorry but he's one of those guys that uh just i don't know how he got involved in this project but seeing him in that role and i like i recognized him and i was like who is that? So I started like looking at the cast like while the video was playing and I was like, oh my God, that's Marty McSorley. I was like, no way. I was like, it's such a, just a strange cameo for this film. Like to not give him any dialogue or anything and just like, okay, you take this gun, you go in the back and then Cyrus kills you like all within 30 seconds. And then he right. never went on to like 
get into like other action films where it's like maybe he gets a speaking line here or there. Maybe he did and I just never saw it. And it was like straight to video stuff that wasn't Con Air, but that's a pretty big movie to be in uh, for a guy that's not an actor. So I, I found that little cameo to be refreshing considering I learned something new about this movie that I had never known up until this point, uh, like an hour ago. I, I mean, I'm just learning it now. That is pretty funny. It's almost, it's kind of like the cameos that Stephen King does in his own movies, but like, you know, they're coming. You're, it's like, where's Walter? You're like, oh, where's Stephen King in this movie? Or, sure. or, um, or uh, Quentin Tarantino will do the same thing, but he'll, he'll generally give himself bigger roles. But that, that is pretty funny. I never knew that either. Very much so. That scene that I think is the scene, I found it. And that's one of my favorite parts of this movie, just because of how bad it is. Uh, they, at this point, they've established that Poe is a good guy and that he's going to try to do what he can to like play both sides. He, uh, and this is like that key moment of acting where he's trying to convince Cyrus, <clears throat> excuse me, that he's on the right side, but he's also trying to protect the officers that were taken prison, uh, taken prisoner during the hijacking. And mm -hmm. that I believe is this one. you're doing it's time to walk the pigs you can't do that tell me why they're hostages we need them but why the fuck you can't hey man well they're on to him on. i can't think of a thing i'd like better <laughs> than to put a bullet in the brain base of every one of these fuckers but the fact of the matter is how well you know this sendino i mean i don't know him that well myself just what i read like how he firebombed that senator's yacht with two of his own cousins on board. So what's your point? Why would he sweat about killing some hired guns once they'd served his purpose? Now think about that. What exactly are we discussing here? Oh, don't want me to off the pigs. Well, it's not difficult to surmise how Nathan here feels about killing guards, and my own proclivities are uh, well-known and uh, often lamented facts of penal <laughs> war. That's good dialogue right there. Yeah. Do you have any opinion about it at all? Cyrus, this is your barbecue, man, and it tastes good. That's the line that I can never get over. I'd wait for that old jumbo jet in the sky for us start killing our only leverage. Shut the fuck up. Don't you want to get high and get laid? Shit. Put the gun down. Put the gun down, Nathan. Pose right. We're going to plan B. Going to get a refueling truck and a tractor. So get back there and dig the plane out. Gave him a little, gave him a little custom wink right there. Uh, so I guess that was before he um, deals with Sandino, who was the uh, the guy who was arranging the flight mm -hmm. to, to get them out of there. So Poe has a hand not only in saving the cops, but also in getting this other guy killed. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a it's an extra bonus, I guess, if you look at it that way for him as he's trying to kind of take pieces away from Cyrus, taking uh, chess pieces off the board one by one as he's working his way through the system here. Uh, let's see. I also really like the uh, the articulate dialogue there uh, from John Malkovich, just because it kind of like highlights like, oh yeah, this guy went to prison and like just re like read his ass off basically and got degrees and, and all that good stuff. So it just kind of adds to the character. Yeah, I'm curious. I would be interested to talk to the writer who is uh, Scott Rosenberg and just pick his brain on how they went about uh, designing 
the characters because it's like they're all very like clear cut but cyrus is also like an intellectual while being a very evil person as well and so he probably was the most enjoyable character to write for scenes specifically like that one sure. where he's the criminal mastermind so he not only is he playing everybody else that's involved in the story he gets to kind of like wax poetic in moments like that there's another scene on the plane where he has uh kind of another monologue like that as well but it, it must have been the most fun and the most challenging to not only like give him dialogue that allows him to like talk and take advantage of john malkovich's charisma but to also make him legitimately seem like he's the smartest person involved in the situation because they never established that like nick cage is the smartest guy like they go out of their way to say that like he's got a good moral compass uh, he's a righteous person and he's a dangerous person in his own right uh but they never establish him as being able to outsmart john malkovich and i think the same could be said of john cusack as well like they don't really establish that his character is ever smarter than john malkovich but it does come down to like kind of the partnership between the two of them working to bring him down and they just have some inside information. So it's like they just have a card up their sleeve that Malkovich doesn't know about that ultimately ends up being his downfall. And looking at the end of the film, they, I think they get the plane back in the air and they don't really have any place to land. They chase it down with a helicopter. And, you know, I'm not going to go to that scene because it's just a lot of gunfire as they shoot sure. into the open bay doors of the helicopter. But you also have uh, Steve Buscemi's redemption uh, right before the plane takes back off where he doesn't uh, kill the little girl that he meets. That's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, everybody's like thinking, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. This poor little girl is running into a serial killer. And then at the end of the scene, she's waving at him <laughs> as the plane goes away. And it's just kind of a, a, a sigh of relief for anybody watching. Just kind of uh, like giving a serial killer that kind of redemption story is an, uh, an interesting, but uh, I thought a good choice. Yeah, that's a that's actually a really good point there. They have landed near the, the like junkyard airport and Steve Buscemi has just wandered off at this point. Uh, they didn't they didn't decide to keep too close of an eye on the dude that eats people. And <laughs> so he just wanders off and he ends up in the neighborhood and there's a little girl having a tea party in an empty pool and he sits down and like they have a little chat and it does look like, oh no, like they just let this guy kill another little girl. And then I think it's the scene where they get the plane back in the air. You see her like seeing the plane fly away. Uh, and then they're back up in the air they get to the bunny scene which we'll get to but uh buscemi does have some commentary uh like when they're in the air of some like level of awareness of the kind of criminals that he's with because the same way that they look at him as this despicable monster that does these horrific acts that they can't even fathom he looks at the rest of them like they're a bunch of like peons like oh, sure you know like they're petty criminals that like the kind of crime that they do isn't even worth his consideration so it's an interesting dynamic to have all the different kinds of criminals from john malkovich to like ving rames who i don't know if he's a black panther but i noticed which i never noticed during watching it uh all these times over the years is when he first gets his prison cell unlocked he goes and i'm like what <laughs> Uh, I never noticed that. I don't even remember them mentioning that he was Muslim in his character introduction, 
but he yells that as he breaks out and they're beginning to take over the plane. So he's, uh, you know, like a revolutionary militant. Malkovich mm. is a criminal mastermind. Buscemi is a serial killer. Uh, like Johnny 23 is a rapist. And it's just, you could have maybe even eliminated the whole Cameron Poe character from this film and had it be like strictly about the criminals. And then you're almost dealing with like, the foundation for like Suicide Squad at that point. Right. So I would be really curious if, since this is Jerry Bruckheimer who did produce some Batman films, if like his knowledge of the Batman franchise and some of the connectivity with stuff like Suicide Squad was even like in the question at that time. I don't know when the first Suicide Squad comic was. I'm just gonna look that up right now just because I'm curious myself. But while, while you're looking that up, I just wanted to, to bring up, you're talking about uh, the Buscemi character, his Leonard Skinner line uh, while, while, they're, while they're flying the plane, I thought was gold too. Yeah, he just talks about the irony of like these morons celebrating their victory, listening to a song by a band that was killed in a plane crash. Like that's exactly what I'm talking about right there is like his just awareness, his situational awareness of like who he is and who they are and like the ridiculous nature of the situation that they're in. It's it's part of the identity of the film being very self-aware and knowing what it is and not like trying to stretch that too far. Like if it takes itself too seriously, it'll fail with the kind of like dialogue and the one-liners that it has, but it stays kind of right in the sweet spot between being like a good serious thriller and just being kind of a lighthearted action film, very similar to like Face Off, right? Face Off kind of has these moments as well. It's another Nick Cage vehicle. Um, I found it, and Suicide Squad's first appearance was 1959. Oh, wow. So I'd be really curious to see or to hear if Bruckheimer had somehow like known of this property and the dynamic of like a criminal squad working together and kind of maybe pulled from that just because of his history with Batman. I'm going to have to look that up probably after we get done with the call. And uh, if I can find anything on that, I'll definitely include it into the uh, post-production element of this show. Okay. But uh, since you mentioned Steve Buscemi, there's one more scene. Well, no, we got to do the bunny scene. <laughs> got to do the bunny scene because it's it's right. It's one of those scenes that makes this movie. So let me grab It's the that worst one. of the one-liners. And if we're going to talk about the one-liners, you got to show the bunny. Yeah, and it really does highlight like how bad Nick Cage's <laughs> accent is in this particular <laughs> scene. <laughs> He sounds like Hank Hill now that I've listened to it a couple more times recently. Appears the United States Parole Commission that. Oh. So he's been found out by one of Cyrus's henchmen. Yeah. Yep. Put the bunny back in the box. I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You've been playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box. God dang it, Bobby. I can definitely hear that. I said, put the bunny back in the box.
very interesting like fight to have in the cargo hold too because it's like I was getting ready to say that it's a very unique place to have a fight (laughs) yeah very close quarters like low ceiling so you can't really like fight the way you would normally try to but as a marine of course um, Cameron Poe is equipped to deal with any situation hand hand combat (laughs) why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box (laughs) why couldn't you just put the bunny back in the box I mean, it doesn't matter. He still would have had to kill him because he knew he, he knew his secret. He did, yeah. So no, I mean, he. I guess he could have like ambushed him and tied him up or something like that. But uh, that leads into this next scene. He just comes back uh, upstairs from the cargo hold, and what you were talking about, uh, Steve Buscemi. He's waiting here for him, and he gives him this little kind of words of wisdom. Two went down. One came up. One will fall. Well, you don't have to tell me. Most murders are crimes of necessity rather than desire, but the great ones, Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy, they did it because it excited them. Don't you... I got nothing in common with them, with you. Don't you talk to me. They were insane. Now you're talking semantics. What if I told you insane was working 50 hours a week in some office for 50 years, at the end of which they tell you to piss off, ending up in some retirement village, hoping to die before suffering the indignity of trying to make it to the toilet on time. Wouldn't you consider that to be insane? I mean, he's got a point. It's, uh, it's a pretty deep, uh, considering the theme of this movie, it's a pretty uh, uh, deep thought concept there. Yeah, and so, like, when you brought up like, kind of his redemption and just his character in general, like, th- there's not a ton of, like, intellect spread amongst uh, the group. But you can see like his respect for Poe's character in this moment where he's just like, look, you did what you had to do. Like, you know, I, I, I see what happened. I'm maybe the only person that saw what happened. And like your secret's safe with me because look, I'm a killer too and I understand it. Um, but to then- You also him, see, you also see, um, you also see Nick Cage's disgust with, with, being, uh, with being compared to somebody like that. It just like burns him to his core. It does. Compared to people like Steve Buscemi. Yeah, and I think what that highlights is the moments where Nick Cage really gets to share kind of like isolated moments with the other uh, really skilled actors in the cast. Like they do bring out the best in each other. It's just, yeah, the focus of the movie doesn't allow it to really like stay in that zone for very long. But those moments are there. And, uh, you know, it was a good investment to like bring some of these guys in because if that's not Steve Buscemi in that role, or if it's not John Malkovich in this other role, like this same premise with a much lesser cast and just maybe leaning too much on Nick Cage carrying this movie as a whole, it may not even have the kind of long lasting appeal that like people like you or me or like a lot of people I know that still like this movie despite all of its many flaws. I'm gonna before we get to kind of the final moments. Uh, I don't know if we need to go over the chase scene at the end, but we'll go straight to the redemption. They crash land the plane in Vegas, and uh, I completely forgot that there's a motorcycle and fire truck chase at the end of yes. this movie. Yep. Uh, so maybe I'll just jump to part two in that. But they, uh, John Cusack and Nick Cage finally get to like uh, meet again. They team up and they kind of like, hey, we're we're doing the chips thing now. And they steal a couple <laughs> police bikes and they chase down this chase. fire truck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it turns into like that buddy cop action movie right there at the end. So uh, before we get there, though, I wanted to. What did I want to do? Uh, oh, yes. The 
the review since we were talking about like kind of what makes this endearing versus what uh, the flaws are. So the lowest score that uh, I'm looking at here is a 40 out of 100. And so the Metacritic score is 52. So this is firmly within the range of being a bad movie, but not uh, in the red yet. So this is still like in the yellow area of being a bad movie. Um, but it qualifies for this show. If the number is green, I'm like, all right, you know, it's still fairly positive. I wouldn't say most people consider it a bad movie. Okay. Uh, so from the Austin Chronicle, it says there's nary a hint of suspense in West's film, though mainly because he loudly trumpets the upcoming disasters so early in the film. <laughs> and I mean, I think I think that's actually a fair criticism, to, sure. to be honest. Uh because it's like you know the movie is so action heavy and the cast is so big that like obviously people are going to have to die here uh and when you're having the kind of stunts that you're having like you can only you can't like pull back right like mm -hmm. you said there's a scene where they they cable the guy's uh corvette to the plane and then the plane just drags the Corvette all over the place, like destroying that beautiful car. Uh, <laughs> they spent a lot of money to just buy that retro Corvette and demolish it. Um, so hope hopefully they bought like a, a beater and they're like, we're gonna make like a secondary one for this. But knowing Bruckheimer, he's like, whatever, we have the budget, let's yeah. just destroy it. Um, but that's kind of like those moments where it's like, you're going so big that you don't have the room to ever really pull back from that point on like as soon as you go big it's like well we just have to go big until we crash the airplane into the vegas strip and then even after that it's like no the action's not done here yeah i mean this was like the movie of the summer this was your classic 90s summer blockbuster so it only can go in that direction 100 percent uh tv guide magazine says this mega budget action extravaganza or it said mega budget action extravaganzas don't get much sillier than this again a fair criticism, but I don't think it really like points to the heart of what the movie is. Um, so I'm going to go to this one from Real Views. I've seen this name pop up a few times doing this segment so far. It says this movie is a perfect example of what's wrong with many big budget films today. No characters, no intelligence, and worst of all, little fun. Like... I don't I think understand. that's dead wrong. It's a hundred percent wrong, and I don't understand if you're going to say all those things. How can you still give the movie a fifty? Like, right. what do you what are you giving it credit for at that point? Because you've taken away all the fantastic character names and uh, just different character designs. You've taken away like the actual intelligent side of the planning that went into the entire like heist section of the film, and kind of the the whole card that you don't see that's operating behind the scenes, like for uh, an action movie it is pretty smart in its presentation of that element and to say that this movie has little fun is like just the biggest oversight of all this is the one thing the movie is is fun and that's something that uh newsweek definitely tuned in on uh they said the saving grace of con air is its sense of its own absurdity and i think that's pretty much spot on right there because yeah. if this movie is not self-aware in what it is uh, it really is not going to make it too much further than uh, being uh, relegated to B-movie territory. Yeah, and I think a couple of years after this, you saw the, the Fast and Furious franchise. They, they made a franchise out of being aware of your own absurdity. So, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not alone in, in that venture. 
and think about that movie or those movies in general like they, they have a very robust uh pretty much a-list cast all the time yep. they have like bigger and bigger stunt work all the time zingy kind of one-liners all the time the lead character also is often just in a plain wife beater he doesn't have long flowing <laughs> uh dreadlocks or anything like that uh but very much like he is a uh, morally grounded character in that he's all about family. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fast and the Furious was somehow grant, grounded in the kind of character foundations that made this movie work. And they're like, hey, you know, this was a really beloved movie in terms of uh, action films from that era. We can really adapt this now as the franchise grew. Like the first the first uh, Fast and the Furious movie is not really like this one at all. But I think as it got bigger and bigger, it was like it was almost self-sustaining at that point. Right. Once you um, get to like five, I think that was kind of the turning point with that. Yeah, actually, funny story. I heard they're filming uh, number 10 right now in Angelino Heights out here. And oh, there, there was a uh, protest group out there because they were trying to get the filming shut down saying that the filming encourages illegal street racing and they had some parents from kids who were killed during uh illegal street racing they're uh like talking to news media and stuff and i was like oh wow i was like i didn't a i didn't realize they were filming and b i didn't realize that like this protest was going on so i was listening to public radio today uh when i was driving around i was like oh this is an interesting story i gotta tell a friend of mine who we always talk about fast and the furious movies and what are, where are they going next are they going to space is are they going to like heist something off of mars because i don't know how they pull back um but because of that uh that newsweek review i'm gonna jump to basically the exact same review pull quote from Roger Ebert. He said, this is a movie that knows it's absurd and does little to deny it. And he gave it a 75. So this is one of the most uh, well-respected, one of the biggest names in film reviews in the business. And at least he was able to see that like, look, there's no way I can give this movie like a 10 or like score it close to an A or anything like that. But this movie knows what it is and it doesn't even waste any time trying to pretend that it's anything else. And if you can just like unplug and enjoy it it is very enjoyable so i was really glad to see like a name like that near the top of the review score list like you're not you're not you're not making citizen kane like you, you know what this is and you score it for what it is so I, I appreciate that review for that yeah i appreciate it too because it's like it, t it takes into account the fact that uh as, as the viewer like having the experience with it like not everything has to be viewed in the scope of like whether or not this is like artistic filmmaking like the film knowing what it is kind of puts it in a different uh category when you're when you're digesting it as the viewer and i'm really glad that roger ebert was able to point that out for this film because you know, there's not a lot of critics that stood up and said, like, this is a good movie. And I think, you know, his brand is so well established at that point. He's not worried about losing his job over endorse, right. <laughs> endorsing a movie that your editor says is bad. So credit to Roger Ebert. Um, OK, so let's go. Let's uh, we can skip over the chase. Uh, OK, we can skip over the chase scene and go straight to the end sequence here because uh, that's a couple minutes long and I'll grab that. But they do have a chase with motorcycles and a fire truck and they chase down Cyrus and 
And, and Nicholas Cage puts off meeting his uh, his wife and child for that chase scene. By the way. You know what? Because you said it, we're gonna watch the chase scene. <laughs> uh, that's part two. Should I go to? I don't know. Should I do part one also? I think part two is fine. The, All the, right, the, let's just yeah. go to part two. We already know they're on motorcycles. He basically high fives John Cusack and is like, "All right, let's uh, let's go ch- let's go chase this guy down because we know he's <laughs> bad and you, we need each other's help." So they've already chased down the fire truck here. And I think this is the tunnel that's on Sepulveda here in LA. I'm like, this isn't Vegas. I know this tunnel. <laughs> and he just stabs Cyrus with a, like a broken broom handle right through the bottom of his leg. Another Look. unique fight scene, by the way, on, on the top yeah. of a moving fire truck. A little bit similar to what they did with uh, the hangar. Well, speed as well, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Right, right, right. They have it on the top of the subway train. Yeah. But yeah, like the unique dynamic here of uh, having the ladder gives you like a lot of stuff to grab onto. So it, it makes the precariousness of kind of being exposed uh, a little bit more manageable. He just, John Cusack turns on the fire hose inside the, <laughs> the, uh, the driver's compartment. And this is definitely a unique way to kill someone. They're like, oops, surprise, we're back in Vegas. Yes. Some editing benefits right there. It just, the catapults him out the other side? That's right. <laughs> oh, and he lands on some power wires. Like, the fall wasn't going to kill him enough. Oh, of course not. For some reason, there's an armored truck parked right there for uh, the fire truck to just smash through and spray money everywhere. Classic uh, 90s action movie fashion. Explosions can never kill good guys. Oh, no, Cyrus isn't dead yet. He went flying through a a window of, like, a sky bridge, fell into a giant uh, electrical transformer and got clearly electrocuted. But he doesn't die until he gets his head smashed by some weird rock-breaking machine that's right <laughs> off the side of the Vegas Strip for some strange reason. And, and after everything he's been through, he doesn't have the wherewithal to move his head. <laughs> it looked like no, he, not, he, I mean, he could have lifted his head up and got out of the way. <laughs> he might have been a little tased from the electrocution that he just had happen right before that. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> and okay, so we only have the we only have the end sequence here to get through and. <laughs> Uh, if you can watch no. this without crying, I question whether or not you have a soul. <laughs> this this I mean, scene, especially having a daughter, this scene is a is a tearjerker. A tearjerker. Glad we didn't shoot. Verified. Oh yeah, it worked out much better this way. Huh? Listen, I want to apologize about the car. I know a good body shop in Fresno. It's insured. I was born to that car anyway. It worked out nicely then. He gave him the keys back. <laughs> that car's in pieces. <laughs> it's another scene that really displays Nick Cage's acting ability here. Like, he's yeah. able to be a real person in this scene. Is this Whitney Houston? I don't believe so. Uh, that's Googleable information. Okay. 
Yeah. Let me see if I can find it in the notes while this is going on. Oh, Diane Warren. But it's sung by Trisha Yearwood. I got a present for you, Casey. And cue the waterworks. <laughs> that bunny's been through a lot. It has. It has. And Monica Potter doing her job, just looking like a smoke yep. show, not saying much. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I don't even know if she said anything. Just like, it's okay, honey. You take your daddy's bunny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you this bunny. It's a little dirty. <laughs> uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, I It's funny. I sat down yesterday and I was like, okay, um, like, let me go grab it. I know I have it somewhere. And I looked and I'm like, I don't have this DVD, which was like shocking to me. I was like, I could have sworn I had this DVD somewhere and I was just going to like pop it in. And then because I didn't have it, I ended up just like, okay, well, maybe I'll rent it. And then I ended up running out of time last night. We were at a concert and we just stayed out a little bit late. So didn't get around to actually watching it again. But much like with Demolition Man, it made me want to watch this movie again. And I'm, I don't know if my girlfriend had ever seen Con Air because uh, she was basically not allowed rated R movies like through mm. our childhood years. And I think we were like, uh, where were we? 13 when this came out so like i i was exposed to all that 90s action stuff that i shouldn't have been watching as a kid the same uh, the same i was yeah. 10 when this came out and I, I saw it in theaters with my mother, so. yeah exactly so this is one of those ones where it's like as i go through all the nick cage movies where it's like she knows i'm a huge nick cage fan we went to see an unbearable weight of massive talent well, uh, it was in theaters and I think it's on like Hulu right now. And she really liked that. Not really having a good understanding of like what made Nick Cage super famous in the 90s. The only movie she was allowed to see was The Rock because uh, her cousin was the love interest in that oh, film. Oh, nice. Okay. So it was like, okay, she gets to go support the family and you get to see one rated R movie. Yes. <laughs> And that's it. And uh, so, like, that's that's her exposure to Nick Cage. So, like, I've been exposing her to, like, some of his more eccentric work, like, over the last couple of years. But I don't think we've ever sat down and watched Con Air. Uh, I probably have to rent it. But it makes me want to, like, go find, like, a Steelbook Blu-ray of Con Air and find something with, like, either director's notes or, uh, like, you know how they do, like, special features Q&A stuff? Because I want to hear so much more about the making of Con Air than I ever wanted to before as I dug into all the research of this. And th this show has given me the opportunity to really, like, deep dive into things. And in conjunction with the film club that we've been hosting, in talking uh, about Ex Machina, which we did this past Wednesday, 
like I, I, my mind was open to so many more possibilities of what that movie actually like had in store than when I sat down and watched it again. And so I think getting an opportunity to kind of like deep dive some of these films has been really rewarding. And there's a long list of these kinds of films, excuse me, especially from the 90s. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and have fun doing this. Uh, you're a good friend of the show. I know you have some stuff going on with your own podcast that isn't movie related. But while you're here, why don't you promote what you're doing? Uh, well, a couple of things going on. Uh, first off, I am running a contest uh, through the Bet55 app. You can find that um, in the app store. So basically, I'm going to be picking games and um, you can pick against me. And if you get up to uh, 60%, uh, you will be able to uh, enter a status where you will have your picks bought. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting. I'm also uh, partnering with uh, ECM. I'm going to be joining their podcast network, and that's going to be happening not with my next episode, but with the subsequent episode, I will, I'm going to be a part of their network. So I'm uh, really excited about that as well. And what does ECM stand for? Oh my gosh, put me on the spot here. <laughs> I can I can edit this part out. We'll no, leave that's that okay. out and we'll no, just it's, say it's ECM. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's the Electrocast Meeting uh, is what ECM stands for. Okay, great. And what is the name of your podcast? I know I introduced it, but you get to tell it yourself. It's your sales pitch for your show. Yeah, uh, it's the Let It Ride podcast. Uh, you can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. Um, once I'm in with Electrocast, you'll be able to find a, a lot of other places too. But uh, for now, uh, Apple and Spotify, uh, you can find me there. Awesome, man. Well, thanks once again for taking the time to do this. Uh, I'm glad that we found a way to support each other's shows. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we connected on Twitter. And you know, the one thing that we didn't bring up was uh, Aaron Rodgers showing up to camp looking like Nick Cage and Con Air. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, man, that's, you know, if he breaks out the accent, that would, that would just pull it all together. That would be hilarious. But it's funny, when I saw him show up to camp like that, the first thing I thought of was you. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, <laughs> we had our bet last season on the Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP. Uh, which he did, and that's a bet that I lost. But when I saw him show up looking like Nick Cage, I'm like, I love Nick Cage. And every time I think of Aaron Rodgers, I think of our bet. So at least there was no monetary loss. You know, it's not it like would, no, you, it you lost like a thousand dollars on it. Or something. No, no, no. <laughs> I know. I, I, w I would not have taken that bet because it, he was the favorite. But realistically, like, you know, we're, we're doing a friendly bet. I get uh, everybody else in the NFL. You get Aaron Rodgers. Like, the odds are on my side, technically. But, I mean, he was that heavy of a favorite yep. where it was just basically a slam dunk. But it was nice to, like, have that engagement and have something to talk about. Uh, and, yeah, it made us friends. And we've, we've stayed connected ever since then. And you've popped into some of the movie spaces here and there. I did an episode of your show, uh, I don't know, like a month ago or so. So, yep. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, since you're here, is there anything else you want to say? Any closing remarks on this film or anything else? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Um, I like that this movie found a way, but my last closing thought, it found a way to straddle the line. The fact that it was a big blockbuster, but still managed to be a cult classic with people like you and me. I just, It's a very unique uh, niche for this movie to find, but it found it pretty well. That's a very good point. Because of the negativity surrounding some of it, it took it out of the kind of 
stratosphere of being like one of those iconic summer action films, although it still is one of those. And it made, uh, I mean, at the time, 225 million worldwide is not bad at all, but it's, it's gross in the US was a uh, hundred million, which is kind of small by summer blockbuster standards, even in the nineties. And it cost nearly that much to make. So it barely got above breaking even um, and I think in comparison to some of the other 90s films, it took a back seat as it was also coming towards the end of the 90s as well. So yeah, it, wa- it wasn't like in the, the prime swing of things. I think The Rock was, what, two years before this? Yeah, Independence uh, Day was, what, 96. So you had, But yeah. then again, you had Nicolas Cage and Gone in 60 Seconds the very next year. And I think that movie probably did a little bit better. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, let's uh, kind of connected to the fast and the furious in another way but uh yeah so just by for comparative purposes the rock cost about the same made about 30 25 million more in the u.s and about a hundred something more million worldwide so basically the same formula back to back but just the rock translated better maybe because of sean connery because of smaller cast elements like i mean michael bean is in it obviously uh great action star throughout terminator aliens uh he was in the abyss he was in tombstone so it's not uh, ed harris like so it's not like there's uh, bad actors but it wasn't just like stacked with like a dozen a-listers that all like that all need screen time dedicated to them. It was like, all right, it's mostly Connery, mostly Ed Harris, mostly Nick Cage, with a little bit of this other stuff sprinkled in, where this is stretched a little bit too thin in some of those other areas, but still a perfectly enjoyable movie. I still love Con Air so much. I'm going to find uh, a Blu-ray of this and buy it, and then I'll sit down with my girlfriend and I'll have her watch it with me for the first time. I'm jealous that she gets to enjoy this movie for the first time. Uh, that was one of the first movies that I made my wife watch. We got together, ironically. It's, it's right, up, right up there with Predator and Snatch. Like, all my favorite movies that I made her watch. I know. It's so funny that there are just, like, there's so many movies that, like, she didn't see because they were rated R. And I just realized how spoiled I was to be, like, seeing them all the time. And yeah. to be 20-something years down the line from the release, 40 years down the line in some of these other movies, like she had never seen RoboCop, she had never seen Predator. So some of these movies that I'm like, yeah, sure it is like the stereotypical kind of like macho action film. But when we went to see like RoboCop, uh, they had the actress uh, who played Lewis. Uh, she just, you know, Nancy Allen, she happened to live in the area and was available to come in and do a little bit of a Q&A after the film happened. And as we were sitting there uh, waiting for her to come in, my girlfriend was like, actually, she liked this movie way more than she thought, despite it being as violent as it is. And I talked to Nancy while I asked her a question. And I said, like, when you got the script for this and like you saw that it says Robocop, like, obviously, you're probably not thinking it's going to be this kind of like quality thing. But I was like, here we are 35 years later. Like, at what point did you discover or like what what point during the filming or maybe after the filming did you find out that like, this really is going to be this special kind of movie that really like carries throughout like multiple decades at this point. And uh, I don't know if she said it was when they first saw it screened, but I think she said there was like a, like there was some test footage that they got to see. And she was like, yeah, right then I was like, I knew it. And she said the script was really good despite the, uh, 
the title being kind of like terrible. <laughs> sure, I mean, sure, it, sure. it's so direct that you don't expect it to like be this quality thing. But uh, RoboCop is a beloved movie. It's got good scores, uh, so it doesn't qualify for this show. But no. I could do a, I could do a whole episode just waxing poetic about how much I love RoboCop. But we both have lives, and you have children. <laughs> so I'm not going to keep you any longer. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, that's going to be it, man. Just uh, thanks for having me, Nick. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed this time together. So did I, man. I always I always enjoy talking to you. It's always a good time. So thanks again, everybody. If you're listening, make sure you check out the Let It Ride podcast. It's good stuff, especially if you like gambling, which I do. So until next time, man, thanks for stopping by. And uh, I appreciate your time as always. Cheers, man. Cheers. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help. So if you enjoy what I'm doing, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing all go a long way too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have something to tell me, you can contact me at info at or at scheistpodcast on Twitter. And as usual, be well, stay safe, and have fun no matter where you get your movies. Thank you.